Welcome to episode 26 of the Humanist Agenda podcast. Today we have a special talk from Rod Martin. His talk is titled The Secret Life of Marcus Aurelius. Rod has recently retired from the University of Western Ontario, where he was a professor of clinical psychology. He is a longtime member of Humanist Association of London area, and he has served as president for many years. In this talk, Rod will explore and examine some of the key Stoic principles that Marcus lived by, as revealed in his personal diary. These principles have an important relevance for us today. Now on to the talk. Marcus Aurelius was a Roman emperor who lived in the 2nd century, and he was a practicing Stoic who wrote a well-known book called The Meditations. He was one of three major authors about Stoicism from ancient times whose writings we still have today. The other two were Seneca and Epictetus. And I particularly enjoy Marcus's book because it shows how he applied Stoic concepts in a real practical way in his everyday life. So I want to tell you a little about his life to begin with, and then we'll go on to look at the book, The Meditations. I'll start by giving you a quick overview of the philosophy of Stoicism, particularly as Marcus presents it, and then we'll go on to discuss some of the themes that run through the meditations. So who was Marcus Aurelius? By the way, this is what Marcus Aurelius actually looked like. We have several uh, sculptures that were made of him during his lifetime that still exist in museums today. He was born almost 1,900 years ago, on April 26th, in the year 121 of the Common Era. He was born into a position of privilege in a wealthy Roman family, and as a teenager, he was selected by the emperor, Hadrian, to be the future emperor. Even as a child, he obviously showed some positive qualities that caused Hadrian to see him as someone who would be a good ruler. So as a future emperor, he was given the best education that money could buy. Leading experts in various fields of knowledge were hired as his tutors. And one of these tutors, a man named Junius Rusticus, happened to be a follower of Stoic philosophy. And he was the one who introduced Marcus to Stoicism. He actually gave him a copy of the lecture notes from Epictetus, who was a famous Stoic teacher who had lived in the previous century. And this is probably the same book of Epictetus that we still have today that we can read, as Marcus did. So Marcus read this book. He learned from his tutor, Rusticus, and he became an avid Stoic. And Epictetus's teachings became the bedrock of his life. He cites these writings frequently in his meditations. So when Marcus was 40 years of age in the year 161, he was crowned emperor. He actually accepted the throne somewhat reluctantly. He would have preferred a quieter, more contemplative life. But he accepted it as his duty, determined to do the job diligently, and with integrity, always doing what he believed was right and fair. At the time that Marcus became emperor, 
The Roman Empire was at the height of its power. It was the greatest empire the world had ever known. As you can see, it stretched from Britain through Western Europe, uh, across both sides of the Mediterranean Sea, the north part of Africa, through Italy and Spain and Turkey, and on to Syria and Armenia. In all, it stretched more than 5,000 kilometers from west to east. So Marcus Aurelius was the most powerful man in the entire world at this time. But his reign was marked by many crises and difficulties. It was a very difficult reign. First of all, there were frequent invasions from the Parthian Empire in the east and from the so-called barbaric Germanic tribes in the north in uh, Central Europe, what is now Germany and Austria and Hungary and that area. And so Marcus himself had to lead his army to defend the empire. And he spent much of the last 10 years of his life, in fact, on the front lines in Central Europe. And that's where he actually wrote the meditations during the time he was living in an army camp there. He also had to deal with a revolt by one of his trusted generals, a man named Cassius, who declared himself emperor and led a large army against Marcus, causing panic in Rome. There was also a plague that was brought back by the soldiers after defeating the eastern invaders. And scholars now think that it was probably the first introduction of smallpox into Europe. It killed as many as five million people in the empire, just decimating the population. And Marcus also had sorrow in his personal life. He and his wife, Faustina, had 13 children in all, but eight of them died in early childhood, causing them a lot of grief. Marcus also had chronic health problems. He lived with constant pain and stomach ailments. But Marcus tackled all of this unrelenting series of threats with energy, enthusiasm, and a sense of duty. He reigned in all for 19 years until he died just a month before his 59th birthday in the year 180. He died probably from the plague in an army camp in what is now Vienna in Austria. Lord Acton of Britain in the late 1800s famously said, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Great men are almost always bad men. As emperor, Marcus Aurelius had absolute power, but he was one notable exception to Lord Acton's aphorism. He could have lived a life of extravagant self-indulgence and debauchery, taking advantage of all the pleasures available to him, sumptuous food and wine and jewels and mansions and sexual pleasures. He could have become a tyrant like Nero, who murdered anyone who got in his way, including his own wife and mother. But he didn't. He controlled his appetites. He lived modestly. He gave away much of his wealth. He treated people fairly, and he served the empire humbly. Being emperor was also an extremely stressful and demanding job, as I mentioned, especially for someone who took his duties seriously. 
There were constant problems to attend to, people seeking to take advantage of him, demands on his time, never had a moment's peace. He could easily have become overwhelmed with anger, rage, frustration, worry, depression. But he was able to serve the empire with inner calm and tranquility. He was universally admired by his soldiers, by the empire as a whole, and by subsequent historians. All had nothing but good things to say about him. So how could this be? What was his secret? The secret of Marcus's inner strength came to light after he died with the discovery of his journal, which was originally 12 books or scrolls that he had filled with his writings. And this is, of course, now known as the Meditations. These journals were written during the last 10 years of his life, as I said, much of it while living in army camps on military campaigns in Central Europe. In this journal, he wrote notes to himself in the evenings, reminding himself of the stoic principles by which he sought to live, examining his own mind, his thoughts, feelings, and actions. The journal was really never meant to be published. It was only intended for himself. He was writing it to himself. But some unknown person found these books after his death, saw their value, and made sure they weren't destroyed. And copies of it were passed down through the centuries and became an inspiration to many people over the years. And, you know, I just think it's such an amazing thing that we have this book today. It was just really a fluke of history that it survived. It contains the innermost private reflections of this great man bearing his soul, revealing to us what a humble, thoughtful, genuine, caring person he was, even though he was the most powerful man in the world. And in reading it, we can be inspired by his example. So I would encourage you to get a copy of the meditations. You can get it in paperback. It's about 175 pages or so. It's made up of 12 chapters, each uh, corresponding to those 12 original books that he wrote. I would recommend that you get one of the more modern translations that make it quite readable. And the meditations can be a little difficult to understand when you first read it. The book is made up of these short thoughts, just sentences or paragraphs that Marcus wrote down randomly, probably relating to the problems and issues that he was dealing with at the time that he wrote them. So there's no organized structure. It jumps from topic to topic, and it's often a little cryptic, a little difficult to understand because, of course, Marcus was just writing for himself. He wasn't trying to explain things to someone else, and so he could just write it in kind of a cryptic way to remind himself of these concepts that he was familiar with. So unless you're familiar with uh, Stoicism, uh, it's, it can be a little difficult. So I'd like to begin by just talking about a little bit about Stoicism. And so the fundamental goal of Stoicism is finding inner tranquility, which the Stoics referred to as happiness or eudaimonia, the Greek word for happiness. 
or peace of mind, equanimity. It's all about freedom from negative emotions and having positive emotions, particularly joy. So for the Stoic, this inner peace of mind is really the most important thing we can seek in life. So when you're reading the meditations, it's important to just keep in mind that this was Marcus's main purpose in writing them, to find equanimity or tranquility. So Marcus, for example, says, nowhere you can go is more peaceful, more free of interruptions than your own soul. An instant's recollection, and there it is, complete tranquility. So you can see that while writing the meditations, he was seeking tranquility and finding it in his own soul. By soul, he's not he doesn't mean kind of the Christian concept of the soul as this entity that can live apart from the body and that survives after death. Because the, the Stoics didn't believe in that kind of a soul. He's really talking about his own inner mind. In another place, he says, how easy a thing it is to push away every annoyance and distraction and to be at once in perfect peace and tranquility. He says it's easy, but it actually requires quite a change of thinking and constant practice. So again, Marcus wrote the meditations, perhaps at times when he himself was starting to feel some distress in the midst of all this adversity and sorrow and pain and struggle that I was talking about. So he was writing these meditations in the evening, seeking to regain that inner peace and to overcome any feelings of anger and anxiety and discouragement or temptation that he was starting to experience. So where does this inner tranquility and peace of mind come from? Well, first of all, according to the Stoics, it does not come from what they call externals. To find that inner peace, do not look to things like wealth, power, fame, pleasure, good health. These are the kinds of things that most of us think will bring us happiness. This is what we spend all our time and energy working for. Lots of money, a good job, a happy marriage, beautiful house, a car, good health. But the Stoics say that these things are not a reliable basis for happiness because we don't have complete control over these things. They can be lost, taken away from us, so they can't guarantee our happiness. Also, if we base our happiness on these things, we'll never be satisfied. We'll always be wanting more. No matter how beautiful your house or car is, you'll always want a better one. So these are what the Stoics call indifferent because they don't make any difference to our happiness one way or the other. Now, it's important to recognize, though, that this doesn't mean that we shouldn't care about these things at all or try to achieve them. There's nothing wrong with seeking these things. They're what the Stoics called preferred indifference. We prefer to have money than to be poor. We prefer to be healthy than to be ill. We prefer to have people like us than to have people dislike us. But we shouldn't let them become the basis of our happiness. We always need to remind ourselves that they're of secondary importance. We can be happy without them. So 
if externals are not the way to find inner peace and tranquility, how do we find it? And it begins with understanding the dichotomy of control. Marcus Aurelius put it this way. Love of reputation means tying your well-being to what other people say or do. That's out of your control. Love of pleasure means tying it to things that happen to you. That's also out of your control. Wisdom means tying it to your own actions, something you can control. So to find tranquility of mind, we need to distinguish between things we have control over and those we don't. So the things that we can't control completely, Marcus is saying here, are things that other people do and things that happen to us. So this would include fame, reputation, status, wealth, possessions, pleasure, physical health, all those things that I mentioned that we uh, that the, the Stoics referred to as externals. You know, when you think about it, these are the things that upset us, that destroy our peace of mind. We get angry, furious at things that other people do or say to us. We worry and obsess about our finances, our job, our relationships, our health, the future. We might get depressed about how things have turned out in our life. All of these things are outside our control. So if we focus our happiness on things we can't control, we're bound to experience a lot of distress in life. So instead, inner peace comes from focusing our happiness only on those things we do have control over. So what do we have control over? This brings us to the concept of the three disciplines in Stoicism. And Marcus puts it this way. Everywhere, at every moment, you have the option to accept this event with humility. He's referring here to desire. To treat this person as he should be treated, referring to action. To approach this thought with care so that nothing irrational creeps in. This re relates to perception. So what can we control completely in life? First of all, our perceptions or judgments, which has to do with our cognition, our intellect. Secondly, our desires and aversions, which relates to our emotion. And our actions relates to our behavior, the things we do. And these are referred in Stoicism, referred to as the three disciplines. Stoicism says we need to train ourselves to discipline our mind in these three areas. And this is what allows you to gain inner tranquility and peace of mind. And so these three disciplines really make up the overarching framework of the whole book, the meditations. They're repeated over and over throughout the book in various combinations and reformulations. So I just want to say a few more things about each of these three things. So first of all, perception has to do with the way we evaluate things as good or bad. So Marcus says, if any external thing causes you distress, it's not the thing itself that troubles you, but your own judgment about it. And this you have the power to eliminate now. By the way, remember that when he says you throughout the book, he's talking to himself. He's reminding himself of all these things. 
In another place, he says, it's not what others do that disturbs us, for those acts are matters of their own control and reasoning. But what disturbs us is our opinions of what they do. Take away those opinions, dismiss your judgment that this is something terrible, and your anger goes away as well. So Marcus is reminding himself that external events do not cause our emotional reactions directly. If you're feeling upset about something that someone has said or done to you or something that has happened, losing a job, being in an accident, having health problems, whatever, it's not the event that causes you to be upset. You know, we tend to think, I'm upset because this happened to me. But instead, Stoicism says, I'm upset because I think it's terrible that this has happened. So it's your perception of the event, the way you evaluate it, seeing it as being terrible and awful and intolerable or unacceptable. So by changing our perceptions and evaluations, we can change our emotions. And Marcus reminds himself about this over and over throughout the meditations. So then desire, this has to do with the things we want in life, the things we desire and strive for, and also the things we want to avoid, stay away from. So again, Stoicism says, don't focus your desires on externals, the things you can't control, having money and nice things, having people like you, and being healthy and so on. Instead, you should focus your desires in life on those things that you do have control over, your character, being a decent, ethical, caring person, and accept unpleasant things that happen to you with equanimity, the disappointments, the bad news, the, the things that go wrong. Once something has happened, it's in the past, so it's outside your control, so it's indifferent, according to Stoicism. Now, it's important to recognize that this does not mean that you just give up trying when things go wrong. It doesn't mean just passively accepting everything and not trying to change things. This is sort of a misconception of Stoicism that some people have. The Stoics were very actively involved in politics. They tried hard to change things for the better. Marcus led his army against the invaders. He tried to do good in the empire. So in our personal lives, we should try to improve our life, try to change things for the better. In our social action, we should do all we can to, to fight against injustice in the world, to combat climate change and things like that. But the point is that we always need to remind ourselves that our inner happiness does not depend on external success. We may fail at our efforts. Things might not turn out the way we hoped. We'll have setbacks, but that doesn't mean that we need to lose our inner tranquility. We can still have that sense of well-being, knowing that we did our best. And then action, the third of these disciplines, the things that we have complete control over, this has to do with how we behave in our everyday lives, the things that we put our efforts into. And a big part of this is the way, the way we relate to other people. And so there's two main points here. Act rationally, not emotionally. So don't act out of anger, for example. And act virtuously for the benefit of all, caring for others as well as yourself. 
The Stoics saw these two things as the defining characteristics of humans, rationality and community. So we're, we're social animals and we're capable of reason. Doesn't mean that we're always reasonable, that we always use our rationality, but we're capable of rationality. The Stoics saw themselves, they saw all humans as being related. So they really saw themselves as being part of the human family. They really developed the idea of cosmopolitanism. We're citizens of the whole cosmos. Okay, so now we can talk about the meditations with some idea of what Stoicism is. And as you can see, Stoicism involves thinking about things differently from what we're used to. And it takes a lot of practice, really, to train yourself to think in this way, changing your desires, perceptions, and actions. And so the Stoics developed numerous mental exercises or techniques or ways of thinking about things that would help to reinforce these three disciplines in their minds. And so this is really what the meditations are all about. They are mental exercises that Marcus was engaging in to remind himself of Stoic concepts, to help discipline his mind and keep his focus on this Stoic way of thinking in order to maintain his inner tranquility. So for the rest of this talk, I'd like to just go through uh, a few of the, the these kinds of mental exercises that Marcus was engaging in throughout the meditations. These are things that he talks about over and over in the meditations. So they're major themes of the book. So the first of these is break things down into their basic components. So this is a mental exercise that you can use to change your perception on things that you desire inappropriately. And Marcus puts it this way, like seeing roasted meat and other fancy dishes in front of you and suddenly realizing this is a dead fish, a dead bird, a dead pig, or this noble vintage wine is grape juice and these royal purple robes are sheep wool dyed with shellfish blood. And as for sexual intercourse, it is the friction of a piece of gut and following a sort of convulsion, the expulsion of a little mucus. So when you're overvaluing things that seem very desirable and impressive, you can reduce them to smaller elements to make them seem less important or desirable. A fancy meal that costs a lot of money in a restaurant is just dead animals and grape juice. Expensive clothes. It's just animal hair dyed with shellfish blood. Or nowadays we might say it's just chemical fibers. Inappropriate sexual pleasure. If you're tempted to have an affair with someone, for example, it's just friction of a piece of gut, a spasm, an expulsion of a little mucus. Nothing to get excited about. Do you dream about owning a Porsche or Lamborghini? Remember, it's just a pile of steel, plastic, rubber, and glass. Nothing to be impressed by. So this is a, a little kind of a way of thinking that's useful when we're getting caught up with externals, wealth, luxury, 
expensive food and wine and so on. And it helps us avoid overvaluing things that are really indifferent to our happiness. Another example of this kind of mental exercise, be grateful for what you have. Another way of avoiding excessive desire or externals. So Marcus says, don't imagine yourself having things that you don't have. Instead, look at what you do have, the things you value most. And think of how much you'd crave them if you didn't have them. But be careful. Don't feel such satisfaction that you start to overvalue them. Then it would upset you to lose them. So we tend to constantly think and dream about things we want in our lives. We're always wanting better electronic gadgets or clothes or a better car, a better house, a better job, a better husband or wife. And that leads to feelings of dissatisfaction and envy and frustration and disappointment. So instead, Marcus says, focus on the things you do have, how lucky you are to have them. You know, just think of all the people in the world who would love to have the life you have now. And this leads to feelings of gratitude and satisfaction. But you notice Marcus says, be careful that you don't overvalue what you do have. We always need to be prepared for the possibility of losing it. Otherwise, that, that could lead to a lot of negative feelings if you do lose it. So Marcus repeats this kind of thing throughout the meditations. Another example of one of these kinds of themes. Don't worry about other people's opinions. Marcus says, it never ceases to amaze me. We all love ourselves more than other people but we care more about their opinion than our own. Another place he says, someone will think badly of me. That's his concern. My concern is that I not be found doing or saying anything worthy of disapproval. Again, so much unhappiness comes from worrying about what other people think about us. We're always worrying about whether people will like us or approve of us or think well of us. But what other people think about you is outside your control. So it's irrelevant to you. So Marcus frequently reminds himself not to think about what other people are thinking or doing. Just focus on being a good person so that no one has reason to think badly of you. And if they do think badly of you, that's their problem, not yours. Another example don't get angry. Marcus says, to be able to feel affection for people, even when they offend you, is uniquely human. You can do it if you simply recognize that they're fellow humans, that they act out of ignorance against their will, and that you'll both be dead before long. And above all, that they haven't really hurt you. They haven't taken away your ability to choose. If someone does something offensive to us, for example, they cut you off in traffic, we can perceive it as hurtful, get mad, want to punish them, put them in their place. These perceptions lead to anger, rage, feelings of upset. They destroy our peace of mind. Or we can accept that given the nature of the other person, their flawed thinking, nothing better could have been expected of them in the first place. So there's no need to become enraged. 
according to Stoicism, people do bad because of ignorance. They don't know better. And remember also, says Marcus, that you are a fellow human being with this person. Again, Stoics emphasize that all humans are kin. Also, remember that other people can't really hurt us. They can only affect externals, not our inner character, our desires, perceptions, and actions. And also, you notice he takes the cosmic perspective. He says, we'll both be dead soon. Now, again, this doesn't mean making yourself a doormat for other people. You need to stand up for yourself when necessary. You need to push back sometimes. You may need to avoid people who have it in for you that just can't seem to get along with you. And Marcus talks about that sort of thing, too. But it means responding thoughtfully and appropriately. And even with empathy, when people do things that could upset us. And avoid becoming motivated by anger. Don't repay evil with evil. For the Stoics, anger is always inappropriate. It's never okay to get angry. Another example of these mental exercises, live in the present moment. Marcus says, each of us lives only now, this brief instant. The rest has been lived already or is impossible to see. Another place he says, do not let things still in the future disturb you. For you will come to them, if need be, carrying the same reason that you now employ when dealing with things in the present. So again, a lot of our unhappiness comes from focusing too much on the past or the future. We think about the past and we regret things we've done. We wish things had turned out differently. We harbor feelings of anger and resentment towards other people who have done things to us in the past. Or when we think about the future, we worry anxiously about bad things that might happen, things that could go wrong. So the present moment is really the only time you actually have control over. The past is finished, can't be changed. The future is unknowable, therefore indifferent. So don't waste time worrying about the future. When you get there, you'll have the same resources to deal with it that you have now. So focus on doing what is right, what needs to be done at this moment, in this time. Another one of these mental exercises that Marcus repeats over and over, use adversity to make yourself better. Something can ruin your life only if it ruins your character. Otherwise, it cannot harm you inside or out. The mind can convert all that hinders its activity into things that help it. The impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. So rather than getting upset about something that happens, welcome it as an opportunity. If you lose your job or a relationship or your health, of course, these are going to be major disruptions in your way of living. It's, you know, it's difficult to, to deal with at the time. But think of it as an opportunity to learn something new, to grow as a person, to adapt your goals, to become stronger. Another final example, always remember that you will die. Marcus says, do not fear ceasing to live 
but fear never having begun to live properly. Another place he says, don't live as if you had endless years ahead of you. Death overshadows you. While you're alive and able, be good. And death is a frequent theme in the meditations. Marcus is constantly reminding himself that he will die. And again, you can remember that he's he's on the battlefields a lot of this time. And so he could be killed at any time. But the Stoics emphasize that it's important for us to prepare ourselves mentally for death, not in an anxious or fearful way, but in a calm, accepting way to remind ourselves, you know, that we're, we're going to die. And one's own mortality becomes an inspiration to live well. Soon you will die. So make the most of this life that you have now. So I hope this gives you some sense of Marcus Aurelius's way of thinking. And, you know, these are just a few of the examples of these uh, mental exercises, the themes that run through the meditations. And there are, of course, many more of them. But you can see how for every kind of problem in life, the Stoics worked out a rational, reality-based way of thinking that allowed them to maintain their inner peace of mind whether it be dealing with feelings of anger toward other people or worries about work or finances or health problems, fear of death, feelings of envy or resentment towards those who are better off, temptations to do wrong, dissatisfaction about your life circumstances, whatever it is, the Stoics thought about all these different things and developed various mental exercises to help us think clearly and rationally about each type of situation and avoid being pulled into distress and unhappiness. So the meditation is really a great source of ideas for helping us deal with these issues in our lives in the same way that Marcus Aurelius did while he was serving as the emperor. Now, I recognize that stoicism might not appeal to everyone. It does require quite a lot of commitment to this way of thinking. But personally, I think the payoff is worth the effort. So the secret of Marcus Aurelius and the promise of Stoicism is that things upset you only if you let them. And happiness and inner tranquility are within your power. I think this philosophy is particularly relevant for the world today. I've been thinking a lot about global warming lately, and you probably have as well. We're going to have to cut back on this relentless consumerism, this focus on externals, as the Stoics call it, this constant drive for wealth and growth and exploitation of the environment. And, you know, the world is in for some huge shocks and there's a risk of humanity falling apart rather than pulling together. So, you know, I think maybe stoicism could help us shift our attitudes and values, pull together and cope better with what is to come. So I'll give the last word once again to Marcus Aurelius, who says, The mind that is free of disturbance is a fortress. No place is more secure. Once we take refuge there, we are safe forever. Thank you.